0: Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 44. It is July 1st, 2019. The summer is flying by. Saturday, I played the Vans Warp Tour in Atlantic City with my original band members. I want to shout out Mike Russo, Rob Piccinini Jr., and John Longley for just killing it. It was a great day and, uh, Kevin Lyman has always done big favors for me and stuck his neck out for me, and he put me at a, on a really good stage at a really good time. We went on right before a giant lightning storm, kind of shut everything down for a few hours. But everything got back Saturday, and I heard that yesterday was amazing. So warp Tour, 25 years. Kevin says it's the last one, but he said that last summer. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. I got to see the Aquabats, who I'm touring with this September. I got to see, say, Ferris got to see a lot of great stuff and i got to see hidden in plain view who i toured with in 2006 was simple plan and joe the lead singer of hidden plain view his wife eva is my manager so it's a very small world but it was really cool hanging out with their family and just seeing so many friends it just felt like an amazing community event and uh yeah warp tour is great like it was just a really fun day and and it got me in a really good mood and it was also a hard week um my wife's grandpa passed away uh, rest in peace to pups that's what we called him really cool guy. he was in his 90s spent a lot of time with him in the past few years at family events getting to know him. He's born in Canada, born up in Quebec came down to the US He was a logger, a hunter really interesting guy who spanned between different generations and um yeah it was I got to go to the wake and it was. Just got me thinking about like the legacy we leave is the people we inspire, the people we love. And this guy was so loved. Such a funny, interesting guy. Such a... I don't know. He'll be missed. I'm really going to miss him. And he'll always live on in my memories of him. So life is important. Every day is important. And every second is important. I've been thinking a lot about that. So... I wanted to kick this episode off talking about just one of the themes I talk about a lot on the podcast is the role of inspiration and the unquenchable human spirit and the unstoppable moxie it takes to want to create anything or follow an inspirational path and hope it leads somewhere. And like, there's two sides of every creative endeavor, right? You have like the inspiration and the fun of doing something, being in the moment, creating music. Working with bands, producing music, painting, I don't know, writing a screenplay. And then there's the arduous hard work, which is the marketing, the going on tour, the driving 12 hours, the putting up your t shirt stand at the merch booth, the slugging your merch across like a hot parking lot at Warp Tour, you know? So it takes a lot of moxie to survive in the independent world when you don't have people who are being paid to do the hard work. For you, so I wanted to do a label profile today. This is new. I've never done anything like this, like a profile of an indie label, talking to the dude who started it, his philosophy, his what he's learned, what he's changing, what he enjoys about running a label. So the dude who I'm talking to today is Rob Lanterman from Boise, Idaho. And I don't know if any of you noticed this, but people from Boise always call Boise Boise. They say it with a. S. And people not from Boise say it with a Z, Boise. So I guess if you're saying Boise, it's Boise, right? Because it's like if you're from España, that's where you're from. You're not from Spain. You can't go, oh, people from España are saying it wrong, right? I don't know. It's like people from the East Coast always call Oregon, Oregon, and they call Nevada, Nevada. I don't know if you've witnessed this, but people just say it wrong. So I've been saying Boise wrong my whole life probably. So Boise, Rob is... Very belaboring this point. Rob says Boise, and I should have asked him about this like why I say it wrong, or if only people from Boise say Boise, but he's actually, <laughs> it's make. I'm cracking myself up there's no one here i'm recording this alone i'm cracking <laughs> cracking myself up the um he's actually the label's actually based in Caldwell Idaho which is like a suburb of Boise which is the home of Big O now Otis Julius but to make things even more complicated big o just moved to Los Angeles big o is a band i toured with a few years ago who I met at a festival up in Washington and Big O's bass player, Rob Lanterman started Hidden Home Records. So over the years I got to know about his label, like know about the bands he puts out, his philosophy. And what I love, it's a punk label. What I love about Rob is that he has this approach of like, yeah, this music needs to be archived. I want to help my friends. So I'm going to invest in pressing their CDs or their vinyl, get them press and publicity, help them with marketing. And it's like, this really sweet, timeless, um, intrepid desire to bring attention to art that he believes in. No corporation, no corporate sponsorship, no one paying for Spotify uh, playlist placement. It's just him and his friend believing in these bands. And I've always felt like post-2006, I talk about this and download this song and a lot of my songs about the music industry kind of address this. I feel I've always felt like the DIY approach is dope, but it's this a lot of this like um oh it's all for me. Like this I'm just in it for myself. I'm going to make my videos, put them on YouTube, put my stuff on TuneCore, monetize my streams and that's it. I don't want to help other people. And maybe people there are people out there who do want to do that, but I feel like that's the attitude with Hip hop, especially. And even though the Nerdcore scene, we tour collectively, we all kind of do our own thing with our platforms digitally, if that makes sense. Like we'll collaborate, but I'd never want MC Frontalot to create a quote unquote label and put out my music, or he, I don't think he'd ever trust me to do that because you basically can do it yourself, right? If you're a one person industry creating content. But Rob, has created this platform for people who need a boost. Let's say it's a band of people who do it as a side project until it takes off enough they can quit their day jobs. Rob helps invest the money in the CDs, the marketing, the publicity. It's just dope. So it's I feel like it's an old-school approach that is much needed, and it's amazing to like learn of that the Discord approach which is a lot of you know I Makai's old label or current label like the Hopeless Records approach the idea that we can create a home for these people which is based around touring and community I freaking love it so even though they're from Boise <laughs> I'm sorry Boise even though they're from Idaho let's just say Rob talks about on the podcast how a lot of the bands on his label are actually from Salt Lake City and this is something I've noticed that Denver considers itself, like, not West Coast, but, like, the West, right? Like, the gateway to the West. Technically, that's St. Louis. But the Northwest, Boise and uh, Salt Lake City consider themselves Northwest. Uh, Big O put out a mixtape called the Northwest Mixtape. And it technically is the Northwest, but I guess when I used to think of Northwest, I'd think about Seattle, Portland. But the Northwest is those other states that are inland a bit. So, Hidden Home Records, uh has a lot of bands from that area. And to bring things full circle, Rob recently repressed Audio Karate's first album, Space Camp. And Audio Karate toured with me in 2004 with Say Anything. And the first time I toured the UK with another band was with Audio Karate, a band called My Awesome Compilation, and a band called Pieball that I sampled for Generation. So This is my discussion with Rob Lanterman. We end the discussion talking about C.S. Lewis and some of our religious beliefs, which is kind of a cool cap to this. It just shows his depth as a person. And he talks about his band Shrug Dealer that he plays in. And I ask him, why don't you sign Shrug Dealer? You're creating this platform for other people. He's like, oh, it's Punk Rock Guild. I don't want to hook myself up. I'm like, what? Come on, Rob. Um, He's a musician, too. So that's why he appreciates both sides of the coin. We end with a song with Big O that Rob plays on. Big O is now my Otis Julius. Big O is now Otis Julius, but Rob plays based on this song. It's called Lose Control. So I thought I'd drop that flavor. And I think that the main topic that is really interesting is we talk about the importance of building a local scene versus like when a band should branch out and play different cities. So, that's what's up. This episode is brought to you by some of our new Patreon supporters. Jacqueline, Aaron, and Hercules. Thank you very much and shout out to some of our old supporters who underwrote this episode. Andrew, Maverick, and Joe. Uh, Show news. Saturday, July 6th, I'm playing Anime Midwest with Whitey Cracker, Mega Ran, and a bunch of other artists near Chicago in Rosemont, Illinois. So, that is this Saturday. Come check it out if you're in the Midwest. Happy 4th of July for our international listeners. Uh, Fourth of July is the time of the year when we wrestle, Americans wrestle with our confusing identity by getting drunk and blowing things up and uh, enjoying the sunshine. So happy Fourth. I'll be in Philadelphia the Fourth of July working with Rodney from the Dead Milkman on this new project I'm doing, which is a Poe project that's coming out in the spring. But I don't want to spoil that. And I don't want to talk too much about the future. I want to talk about now. I want to talk about Hidden Home Records and Rob Lanterman. And what's going on with the awesome Northwest punk rock scene. So let's dive into that. Thanks for listening. And I'll check in with y'all at the end. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm
1: here with Rob Lanterman from Boise, Idaho. What's up, Rob? Hey, man. So uh, how did we meet? Uh, We met because I played bass for my buddy Miles, who also goes by Otis Julius, who used to go by Big O. And we did a month-long tour across the United States. And the podcast listeners will remember Miles from one of my early episodes. For sure. And I've probably met a lot of them because you have some pretty hardcore fans <laughs> that were coming out to those shows so a lot of listeners have
0: seen you play probably
1: yeah probably i met a kid here who saw us in arizona actually when i at lars fest he had just moved here he was like i have a picture of you on my phone and, <laughs> and then touring with miles miles is like a very money-oriented person like he's very he knows he's very Thank you. he's very fiscally responsible fiscally responsible yeah and he yeah like yeah he just is so i i was like oh man i got a I, I kind of took some things from him. Here's the way that I looked, because I've always been kind of like a branding nerd and not like yeah. not like a technical branding nerd, but like as a kid, I was really into like Marvel versus DC or I was into whatever, Disney versus Nickelodeon. And then when I started getting into music, it was like I you know I could organize my CDs by how many were from Drive Through, or how many were from Tooth and Nail or Side mm-hmm. One Dummy, things like that, you know? And so I and I've always enjoyed logos and and I was a big hockey fan growing up so that probably contributed to that too. And so yeah. like what it for me it was like I realized I had all the especially so I'm from Boise Idaho. That's where that's where Hidden Home Records is based out of, right? And in Boise Idaho, I realized I had a lot of friends and actually just from touring in general, I had a lot of friends that were I guess uh they were they were really good, but they had no idea how to market their music. But I was like, why haven't people heard these bands? So I was like, well I, I bet I could help them hear those bands. And so I'd say for like that's kind of why I started the label and I've always kind of wanted to because I've enjoyed the aspect of like, you know, whatever, organizing my CDs by label or whatever. Right. But I didn't I kind of just did it because I thought it would be fun. And even though it was like even though it was like money on my part, I finally had a job where I could like pay for that, and I was like, "Well, if I sell out of my copies, that's cool, or whatever." Mm-hmm. And maybe it'll happen down the road, or whatever. And then, probably on like my fourth release, all of a sudden, like all my PR emails started getting back to me because I was doing all I was doing all this PR mm. when these uh, that these bands didn't know how to do themselves or didn't want to take the time to do. And I, you know, I had gone through and made my contact spreadsheet and done all that stuff. And, and so they started getting back to me, and I was like, "Oh, I need to start setting myself up for success at this point." Because, but still being able to help the bands in ways that they didn't know how to do themselves, yeah. And um, and just making it a partnership rather than a, rather than like a label taking advantage of a band for their for their music, just being like, "I like this music, I want other people to hear it." The thing the thing about the the thing about like the money though is like you hear about all these labels like in the '90s that were. Very much like, oh, we don't have, we don't have any receipts or royalties from that label. We don't know what happened to them. And so I, I thought that was kind of like all on the table when I was working with these bands at first. But then once I started making money, and not even really making money, just making money back, I was like, oh well, well damn. Now I have to like do something about that. So so that and that's kind of been right now. My process is basically coming out of a period of a financial. Idiocy. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and like and like and so I am basically my what I'm trying to do right now is become a legal business. So an LLC. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah my, my roommate just got an LLC for like studio work and for uh, for tech for like IT stuff. So because then you know what you can deduct your losses,
0: and that like is great. Then yeah, you don't I, have to pay taxes on on your stuff you haven't made money
1: on. Exactly, and I wonder how many of like my record label peers, even the ones who are like way better at money than I am. Like, I don't think most of them even know that. Like <laughs> the, the ones that I talk to, right. like the ones that I talk to, even the ones who have had really successful releases are still like, well, we're not really making money off of our other releases. So why would we become like a legal label and get the government on our ass? But it's, I don't know, but man. the government's
0: like, going to see anything through PayPal or whatever. Right. So it's important. Right. That's kind of why we're bringing the information to the people.
1: Right. And so what, what I just finished was for all of my PayPal receipts from the, from the get go of the label. I have them all recorded. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going for, I'm going through my personal PayPal for anything I paid for, for like a pressing or what. Cause this was all out of pocket and a lot of DIY labels do it out of pocket. Um, Right. It's their personal,
0: it's like they're, they're spending money for fun,
1: uh (laughs) right? They're not trying to make money. No, it really is, which sounds crazy to everyone, but it's, I don't know. We all like doing it. Like people, like my parents don't understand it. Like uh, some of my friends don't understand it. I think the ones who are kind of into punk rock do. Well,
0: what's been your biggest like commercial success?
1: (laughs) Um, we helped out with the audio karate repressing um, which is a band you know yeah my first yeah. us tour was with them and say anything right and that and that turned out that went that went really well cuz you and, sold all the you made vinyl for them mm mm-hmm. mhm well we, and so really this label wiretap records kind of headed the project up i actually emailed them about doing tapes at one point for to re-release their records and then they said hey there's this other label and I had friends on that label, and um, they were like, "Yeah, this label, Wiretap Records, wants to put our is putting it out on vinyl." And so Rob, other Rob from Wiretap, invited me to be a part of that, and so we did as an it. investor, as an investor, yes, and, and a brand so, ambassador, yes. And so we so we ended up selling out of all of the first copies we still have some of the second pressing but the- did they
0: share the streaming with you or just just the- no
1: that's i think that's all through uh kung fu kung fu put it out originally yeah yeah so what they mm-hmm. did they recorded this album right before they broke up and became like indian school and so they were they recorded a whole album by themselves and just broke up or like started a new band oh and so and and like jason I think, right? The guitarist? Jason he, Camacho. Yeah, so he, he, apparently he didn't play guitar for like the entire time they were like not a band, but he had oh. all of these masters. And so they're finally putting that record out. As Indian school or as audio karate? As audio karate. That's smart. No, they, so they recorded this album as audio karate and then just stopped and beca- and started Indian school. Oh, wow. From what I understand. How I'd, did, so it seems to I me, don't know them super well, but. How did you discover them? Because it seems like they're a very niche underground. I was a Vandals fan. Oh. And, uh, And so the bass player of the Vandals, Joe Escalante, who's actually the one I originally hit up about re-releasing Space Camp and Lady Melody on tape, and he kind of directed me to the band who directed me to Wiretap. But um, I was a big Vandals fan, and he ran Kung Fu Records. And so Kung Fu had the Vandals, they had uh, the Ataris, they had Audio Karate, Useless ID, um, Apocalypse, Hoboken, a bunch of bands like that. And so what I used to do, because I... I, I had comps growing up, but like what? I, but uh, I was a little bit after like the whole like punkarama thing. So mm-hmm. what I would do is I would go to these label websites like Fat or Kung Fu or whatever, and I would like download all the free MP3s that they had on their website, and that's kind of how I got into a bunch of bands. And that's great. Then yeah. uh, Spotify Discover reintroduced audio karate to me in like oh. 2014. Like my the end of the year, like we project this is what you'll listen to. And it had a song from Space Camp and a song from Lady Melody on it. And I was like, I was like, whoa, this is really cool. What's this? And I was like, oh, it's audio karate. And then this other song played, and I was like, this is really cool. What is this? And it was the other audio karate record because they sound completely different.
2: Uh, and so,
1: anyway, that's that's how I got into it. What's your favorite song by them? Um, probably Jesus is Alive and Well and Living in Mexico. I like that but, song. But uh, the other like one is Halfway Decent. And that, so Halfway Decent is like the pop punky song from Space Camp. Oh, uh, yeah. And then, uh, Jesus is Eleven Wells from Lady Melody. That was kind of their departure record. Yeah, that's so rad. It, it sucks that it just didn't get get like the press it, it needed when they, you know, when they put it out. I don't know if it's the press just like the, it didn't it didn't stick with people like it should, yeah. have, I guess.
0: It was like that was 2004 we did the Absolute Punk tour. It's interesting to see that like a band like that that was like so progressive and great that I felt like was mm-hmm. as good as a band like Brand New that was like oh, sure. blowing yeah. up and going gold and it all came down to like label deals and who was putting money where and it's, yeah. it's just like the punk underground world is so, it's really not DIY in that like there's all this secret money that pushes yeah. things to the front and yeah. I think we trace that back to Nirvana being a band that was Indian underground that had like, people didn't really know their story but when mm. something sounds a certain way you assume it's like a DIY thing I guess people knew with Nirvana but that kind of like led to this whole uh influx of the intersection between indie and mainstream
1: right yeah yeah no that that's true I was listening to I think you said something in one of your other podcasts about like the how indie music got like corporatized basically or in the 90s especially right
0: yeah right
1: and so that whole era like that early 2000s era is coming right out of that
0: you're a big Descendants fan right yeah, and they were. Were they ever on a major label or?
1: All was. Descendants weren't. All oh, okay. was. So ah. yeah. Are you? Are you a? Uh, I
0: saw the documentary. The um filmage? filmage. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all I know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. No, it's really good. Actually, Audio Karate got me into a Descendants show in Spokane, and I was. And again, serious? again, I don't really know them that well, and I don't. Descendants or Audio Karate? Audio Karate, yeah. like as people, I don't know them well. I know their music, but like. Yeah. But they got us into this Descendant show, and uh, which is awesome. Um, and it was like a Wilhelm Scream, which is one of my favorite bands, and Descendants, which is another one of my favorite bands. So it was just – and then Audio Karate, and it was – uh, yeah, I guess that lady melody wow. is Carl Alvarez's like favorite record they did at the Blasting Room, which is like their the descendant studio.
0: Oh, so Audio Karate recorded there. Uh-huh. Oh. And, and, and
1: their bass player, it's like his favorite record they ever did there, so – I, I didn't I didn't repress that. I only repressed space camp. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty dope. Anyway, but, but yeah, we've yeah. had we've had other I mean, we've had other, you know, successes too. This band Casual Friday, my buddies from California, like blew up on Reddit. Oh, cool. Like literally he just posted a picture of the vinyl on Reddit. Their singer did. And I I mean we were doing PR. We were getting like streams. We were getting uh
0: Which our, what's the album called?
1: Uh Weekend Forever. Oh, so yeah. they cover the guy with the shorts mm-hmm. and the red shoes. Yeah, yeah. And literally, he just posted a picture of the vinyl on Reddit, and all of a sudden, like, he just got a bunch of upvotes. And then all there were four labels involved, and all four just about sold out. So what is Open Door Records? Open Door Records is a label from California. It's this hat I'm wearing is actually an Open Door Records. Oh hat. yeah, um, I actually used to do pr for them um oh, cool. and so it's it's my buddy's label he put out the band just friends and the band uh grad life and they just signed the and uh they just signed to pure noise records oh, wow. actually uh wow. both of those bands but it's kind of like a power pop punk label I don't, I don't know like i i guess i'd call it like a weezer punk like that like that casual friday band in my mind is like if you took a band if you gave a punk band the Blue album, and that's all they listened to for like an entire year, and then they wrote an album, that's what that band would sound okay. like. Okay, but it's re- cool. it's really rad though. It's really it's really fun.
0: And Casual Fridays obviously on Spotify.
1: And yes, 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 cool. they are. Graduating or Life, are they? no, they'll, they'll, that's Open Door. A lot of them are going to be Open Door bands, I bet.
0: Okay, because so they're from
1: that local scene.
0: If I type Wicked Bears, which is another one of your bands, is it mm-hmm. going to be Hidden
1: Home? Um, it might be, yeah. Let's see. I'm just curious. I, I think it'll be a lot of Salt Lake bands and I've worked with a lot of Salt Lake bands. Odd Robot problem. Mm-hmm. Daughter dead mm-hmm. bars. MCKC is a hidden home guy. Um, okay. Good work, dude. But that's just the dude from wicked bears. But like, like I can't, I can't, the other bands are kind of all on a wiretap actually.
0: And here's the thing yeah. I, I wanted to talk about. is like, brand, you talked about branding in the beginning of this interview. And when I, years ago, when I, um, first played Warp Tour, Mm -hmm. a lot of the listeners know this, I signed Weird Science, who was the Mm -hmm. drummer from Coheed, Mm -hmm. who's now back with Coheed, and it was my hope that all MC Lars fans would love his records, because I did, and vice versa, Mm -hmm. but it's very different than me, and if you type Weird Science into Spotify, you know, like, I licensed the second album, it's all like Sage Francis, Idea and Abilities, it's kind of like the underground serious rap, Yeah, and so... I realized that you can't kind of force a brand association with music. The algorithms do that for you. And that's for me. You type me on there. It's all the nerdcore guys and Mm -hmm. comedy and ska stuff. And so it's like this question of what I'm interested in, starting an indie label, starting from the ground up, like can you create these algorithmic similarities? And is it by taste or is it by... Bands that tour together. You know what I mean? Like how how much power do we yeah. have over the robots?
1: I, I'm kind of finding that it's bands that tour and play shows together. Okay. The more I the more I look into it. Yeah. Um, I mean there's definitely like scenes and there's definitely bands on Hidden Home that if you like, especially kind of the emo bands, I think that if you go to their Spotify profiles, they'll be on each other's like related artists. But um but in general I'm finding Apparently that's just a scene thing. And like I don't know if Hidden Home is really based around a scene as much as it's based around my taste. And there's definitely a little bit of a scene that's come along with it. Like the bands know each other and yeah. they'll, they'll play shows together and book shows for each other and that's rad. But um but a band like Wicked Bears tours down to California almost exclusively, you know? And so when they're down there they'll play with like the wiretap bands like Odd Robot or uh or their their friends in Salt Lake, Problem Daughter just signed to wiretap right so it's just so it's just gonna be like uh i don't know i mean i think part of it is that i'm based out of boise but i work with bands from all over because you're international i <laughs> do you have international bands I, do. I have a couple and you have, international- I have three I have th- i'm going to fest with one they're from denmark and they're called forever unclean and they're flying into new york and then we're gonna drive down to fest together that's dope man i'm gonna be their merch guy yeah they're really cool guys and so, They're flying um, to New York. We did we we were part of a seven inch with them and a wow. few other labels. So
0: that's cool. And then what's your band? You just started, or you you said you're playing this August. Do you want
1: to get into that? Yeah, I play in a band called Shrug Dealer. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's just like fast melodic punk rock.
0: Is it on
2: uh,
1: Hidden Home? No, no, because I felt like Hidden Home. Even though it's not like a big label, it does have a little bit of like. Of a following a little bit, I so just, why not leverage that? I just kind of felt like it'd be cheap since we hadn't even played a show and we put our put our album out. I'm I'll probably do one eventually because we we've done like. Some out of town dates now, and we, you know, we're but we're actually on a label in New York called Knuckle Down Records right now, which is just kind of the scene that we've kind of become a part of by by playing shows, and they kind of have their own thing going.
0: Yeah, but that's what like guys like Ian MacKay and stuff Mm did—they put themselves out.
1: Yeah, no, and I and I've I've done that before, like my solo records out on Hidden Home, and my and my a few of my bands have been on Hidden Home, but Shrug Dealer just hadn't even like played a show yet. When we, when we put our EP out and like no one knew who we were. So I don't know. It just felt weird. I'll probably do it eventually. You have integrity, Rob. Too much integrity. It's just guilt. It's just, it's just like, it's just that like punk rock guilt or whatever. Let me ask you a question. Let's talk numbers. What? I don't How know. much? <laughs> no,
0: this is like good for business. And if you don't want to talk about this, you don't have to. How much do you guys gross on digital
1: a month? A band... Their sales don't keep up if they're not, or like they're, if they're they not touring, the sales don't keep up. If I just put a release out and I get on a bunch of Spotify playlists, then it'll shoot up for sure. Right. And like that, that happened last month with Urban Outfielders. Um. But uh, it wavers depending on how active the so bands are. So there's not
0: like a n- number
1: you can rely on per month? No, not for me. Interesting. Um, I, I'm not really, uh, I okay. don't know. It's kind of embarrassing to say <laughs> like, yeah so it fluctuates a lot which is why yeah. a lot of people
0: don't start labels <laughs> because they don't know what it's gonna generate
1: yeah, yeah no you definitely have to like it and be in it for like the passion of it i think i think that they're the more i mean i guess i'm kind of in a transitionary stage right now but i think that in the next couple years i'll start seeing A little bit more activity and growth because I'm I'm kind of I'm learning how to do it better too, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, even promotion. Like I've always been good at online promotion, getting reviews, getting getting streams, getting interviews. For the most part, I've always been really good at that. A lot of the sites that I read before I started a label are now sites that I know the people of and that they they'll cover the band. But that stuff doesn't work as much as I thought it would. Like Mm. like people don't follow a people. And my like hypothesis: people don't follow a band just because they're good, and because there's so many bands, people don't follow a band just because they're, you know, they're they're on a website they like. Yeah, or even if a video um, goes viral, they might not remember mm-hmm. the artist. They'll just be like, ah, they're on. Treadmills. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think Reddit works pretty well, in all honesty. But um, but other than that, like. People follow bands because they're because they tour. Even the even the right. bands with the roughest recordings on my label, if they do like a weekend, I'll get like one or two CD orders for them. You know, it's, dope. it's not even like I don't know if every band just took like two weeks out of the year and played out of town, they'd probably we'd probably all get a little bit more money. And
0: it's the question of how the heck these people get people to come see them, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're a band from Boise and you're playing San Diego, you have to be on a bill with other bands people know otherwise it's kind of right 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 right. and that i always felt like every great tour i've done is when Mm -hmm. i'm opening for like a a cult band that people love or an artist Mm -hmm. because then people have an association with you and all the band new bands i found you're right have been through live shows opening for like bands that i love Mm -hmm. and so i guess the question is at what point do you try to negotiate stuff with agents and stuff to get your bands like the right tours or the right shows? Or do you just say go, I, see what happens?
1: I don't I don't know because I don't I don't know who I would talk to. I've had a few I've had a few bands hit me up and be like, Hey, can you get us on other tours? And I'm I've kind of been like, I don't know a ton about that. I can point you to people who maybe do. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of been my thing. Like, I can press your record, I can get you I can get you press. At least, at least digital press. Yeah, um, which is pretty much the only kind of press now. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, it's been, yeah, it, it's been di- it's been difficult. Um, and when
0: if, did you? So when did you last look at a magazine and see press on a
1: band and be like, "Ooh, I'm going to listen to that"?
0: Like a physical magazine. You, it's been a long time, right?
1: And I've. And it's not that I don't want to. I just don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. But also, I don't see like when I was growing up, it was like alt press, and I don't see alt press in stores anymore. Alternative press. Mm-hmm. I have a sto- can i tell you my story about them yeah yeah please do all
0: right so i'm gonna put, uh, no disrespect to them but years ago i did a tweet that i talked about how they'd become like a fashion magazine <laughs> because it was always about like the coolest bands who look the most fashionable mm-hmm. and they decided they didn't want to review the zombie dinosaur lp because of that because i tweeted really that and i realized they were following my social media probably shouldn't have said that but um so we had a friend who produced part of that record who had someone in, in the business side who premiered a video on this site. Mm-hmm. But there was, I realized there was like this division there between the social media people, the print magazine people, and the business team. And it's very interesting because like Alternative Press, like you said, is now, mm-hmm. it's now, it's really an online platform. Right. I don't see it in stores either. Does
1: it, do they still print it? I don't know. I, Jeez, let's look. I actually almost, uh, I'm sure they do. But I remember, but I remember when when they got smaller. Like they, you know, they used to be like full size magazines, and then they became smaller magazines. Yeah. And uh, I think they still do print it. Yeah. I actually, yeah. I actually interviewed to work for them. At Are one you serious? Point. Or like, yeah. Well, I don't know if "interview" is the right word. I, they had like a something for their digital content. Like some, so you'd have to be like awake for like this amount of hours and keep your eye on all the music stuff. And if something, yeah. if like something newsworthy came up, you would just bam bam put it on alt press. So I interviewed yeah. for that job um like, or i i guess i took the test for that job i applied and they're like we want to see what else you can do but then someone else got it where are they based cleveland right that's why they always have the alt press awards there
0: every yes summer.
1: yes <sighs> I, I don't know it's maybe it's just getting older but you just don't relate to all the bands and but but you know what there's this really cool band ramona um that was from seattle i saw them play in a basement in boise and now they're in philly and they signed a red scare and they were just part of that whole they're just in ap mm. so maybe they are covering bands i like i don't know they yeah <laughs> just they, not a lot of them that i've i have i there's they, a lot of swoopy hair
0: they're always the alternative swoopy hair <laughs> they're always the alternative press i remember the, i first heard about them because in the 90s they were the first magazine to have insane clown posse on the cover no way. when malenko came out really yeah and it was like they were like because no one wanted to put them on the cover so then now mm-hmm. alternative press probably would be like Oh, juggalo bands! Oh, it's not cool. It's so yeah. it's so easy. I found this for me with British press. Like there was a magazine called Kerrang, mm-hmm. which is like a rock magazine. And when the yeah. laptop EP came out, they were all over it. And when the graduate came out, they were all over it. But then when I started doing ska and the nerdcore stuff, they would they told my publicists, "Oh, MCL is not a Kerrang artist." But three years ago, I was. It's just like you you come in and out of fashion with the scenesters who are the gatekeepers in that world. And so I was like, yeah, you don't need them, but you don't also have to tell them they're a fashion magazine and piss those people off. So <laughs> it's, a, it's like I've always been like, I've always liked the point of the finger. People feel like they're too cool for school, but it really is just, it's like the popular kids at school with the right. I don't know. Atticus hoodies. Right. It's not, right. right. I don't know. Mm. I've always been, I always been a little bit against that, which I'm always, why I'm a fan of like the underdogs.
1: Yeah. Oh man, that's funny. I've always actually been kind of a, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I've had to tone it down with the label a little bit. Because <laughs> in like, what way? Like, well, well, I I just can't. So I mean, and I've I've straddled this line. and probably crossed it. But like, some labels, like Asian Man per se, Mike Park will tweet his stuff out. You know that like like he'll just tweet his opinion out, and I'll do that too. And like yeah. Audio Karate, the band does that too. Like, it, and other bands I know do that, and it's it's fine. It's great. But there, but there's like there's just some opinions that you have to keep to yourself when you're rep- like when you're representing like a bunch of other bands and people unless it unless it's something like so you can't always be like fuck this publication or whatever like especially uh, unless it's something that's like super wrong and unethical and like everyone's gonna be like on the same page as you like you have to think about the fact that you're like you can't you can't you can't be as immature as I like to be with my humor or you like, like or, diplomatic. Like, yeah. You, know, you can't be all Tom DeLonge about it or whatever. And like be talking about like dicks all the time. Like, yeah, <laughs> just but, just or also,
0: but someone like fat Mike, like he's fat records is still doing well. Yeah. But yeah, outspoken. but yeah, but he doesn't
1: tweet from the fat records, like Twitter I account, see. things That's like things like that, you know, and like also his wife or his ex wife runs it and she's, she seems mature. <laughs> so does, <laughs> you know?
0: does Mike Park have a different Twitter? Or does he do it all through the Asian man Twitter? He
1: does both. Uh huh. Um, interesting yeah i've had friends who work for him and but and he's and he's done a really good job i think of like letting people know that this is him like he is asian man records you know what i mean yeah i don't know it's just it's really interesting i think i think recess records has done that as well well it's very easy to
0: in this age to (laughs) say something that gets you deplatformed. Like mm-hmm. whether it's political or whether it's about someone who you don't know the full story about, you have to be careful. Punk has
1: become very <laughs> diplomatic, and it's weird. It is very weird. I, <laughs> I, I would, I would agree. I would agree with that. I think it's a lot of uh, overreacting to serious problems. I don't know. You've you've probably seen that Bo Burnham interview where they asked him about comedy. No, and he and they ask him about like, the, you know you know how Jerry Seinfeld was all like. Oh, I don't perform at college campuses anymore. I'm Jerry Seinfeld. You like because uh, they're, <laughs> they're too PC or whatever. And he and uh, Bo Burnham was like, yeah, that's like kind of lame though. Because he's like, you're responding. They're just they're overreacting to real problems. And I'd rather take people who care about real problems than like people who are racist or whatever and like comedy, you know. Okay. I, and um, like people who understand comedy, but are but are okay with the bigotry. I'd rather take the people who don't understand comedy yet and who are not okay with bigotry yeah exactly so yeah that's that's kind of what he said and that's kind of how i feel about the punk scene and i feel like as as like a token millennial or whatever (laughs) um especially from a place like boise where there's a lot of privilege there's not a lot of diversity in boise and um so there's a lot of privileged people trying to kind of prove how woke they are Mm -hmm. because you know they they feel guilt over it or whatever and um in my in my opinion and i think that a lot of the things that i thought were overreactions in the past the way or them kind of stroking their egos or 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 overcompensating has kind of, has evened out in a lot of ways okay. and so i think i think i think the punk scene will do that cuz eventually you just have to realize that people are not perfect right and like yeah. and and the punk scene i think is definitely at least the modern millennial punk scene or diy scene or whatever has kind of like it has dropped a lot of like not a lot but it's it's dropped some of that like no what's the term no holds barred Uh, Uh you know no like it's dropped a lot of that stuff i think and been like okay let's keep each other accountable let's talk about things and um it is definitely kind of weird still there's still like a buzzwords that float around and there's still yeah. like there's still the ego stroking but i don't think it's as extreme as it was like two years ago three years ago i think people you know i know some
0: some of you listening you know we don't might not agree with my politics but i think a lot of people in the punk scene there's this reaction because people are frustrated with our president in that current situation so it's like right. that community is like okay we have to be twice militant and twice as real and stick together and stick up for women because they're not mm-hmm. being
1: represented in on mainstream platform. And yeah, all that stuff is good. I think there's merit to that for sure. Yeah. Like I don't think that's unfounded whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And I think punk is the place where things are supposed to be extreme and it's really cool to see someone like someone like you with your label where you're not having a corporation dictate what you can and can't mm-hmm. say on your platform. So right. I would say that like with your label that you can tweet whatever you want. I don't know. No, and no. if the bands don't like it, they're free to st- go. Just put their stuff on TuneCore
1: themselves. No, you're no, you're totally right. And no, it's not. I mean, it was more of like a maturity thing. It wasn't like a political thing that I was yeah. talking about. It's just like okay, like example. Wicked Bears stayed at my house one time, right? Uh-huh. I'm gonna call them out. And uh, the guitarist wrote me a like a thank you note, and he and he he drew a penis on it, and so. This is like year two of the label right and I post it on our Instagram right and then, and then I was talking to uh, my roommate my current roommate was an abandoned Boise that I put their last record out uh-huh. called skittish it's and he was like he' was like yeah that was the only thing I saw that I was like huh, I don't know about that was the, was the penis you know on the on the thing so I was like okay well maybe I need to just like because I, I am representing other people like right. I'm down, I'm down to talk about my my opinion is i'm down to be funny on my own time but when i'm like representing the label doing things from the label account and i'm professional and i and i still screw this up sometimes because <laughs> i i don't know i i grew up being a very scared kid mm. i think of like f- offending anyone mm. and now that i've kind of dropped that i think i go over sometimes <laughs> you know
0: um like well, like you go backstage at any venue the graffiti is so foul and the, the <laughs> phallic drawings is just like so ridiculous like the uh what is it the auto bar in maryland that that top floor is just horrific it's like a th- literally a thousand male genitalia is drawn e- eating each other and fighting and it's just like so it's like it's creative though it's cr- it's creative <laughs> but there's yeah there's stuff that like right it's like locker room humor that maybe people who follow on Instagram don't want to see that. So maybe that was your friend's point, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't think that anyone really cares that much about little things like that, but there I think there just is a or if I'm if, if I'm poking fun at the bands, which yeah. you know, especially if they're my friends, but it can make their band look bad if I'm doing that from the label account. Um, which I've done. <laughs> you know, like I have to Yeah. I have to be mindful of that stuff That's because true. like um you can't be like,
0: you could be like, Joe sure should wash his pants.
1: You can't be like, Joe doesn't
0: know how to tune his bass. Right, 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 right. It's
1: like depending if it's musical. Or it, it. it really depends on the band. And like, uh, yeah, I'll have a story for you after <laughs> after this is done. You know oh. my drummer, John. Did you ever meet John? Yeah, I did meet John, so yeah. So I have a song about how
0: his house, house is messy.
1: Yeah, I know that song.
0: But I would never yeah. do a song like, John can't play on beat because John can play on beat. He's a badass musician. So it would be like lame to criticize someone's musical skills yeah
1: i i don't know i mean i think that the bands i work with are generally good enough that i could do i could poke a little bit of fun at their musical skills because they're all good so it wouldn't like no one would take it seriously but i think if i was going to be like Know, like like John can't keep a steady girlfriend because he cheats on all, you know, like <laughs> things like that. Not our John, like, like a yeah, different person right, 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 talking right. about their relationship. No, 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 I, I don't know John, but like, yeah. I mean, I've met him, but I don't, I don't know that's true. But if I, but you know, you wouldn't make a joke like that about someone's like personal right. life. That would be really offensive to them. Or like Felix, he, he, he
0: does too much cocaine. Hey, Felix, you right. he,
2: <laughs> he don't want to.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, you yeah, you yeah. don't want to put people on blast on things that will. Make it look like yeah. you're unprofessional working and, with it.
1: Right. And even if you and even if you're kidding and you think it's innocent enough, I've realized that sometimes they don't think that. So you just have to be careful because you are representing them. But then you're also running this DIY label who where every other you and every other DIY label is trying to be Mike Park, but you realize you're not Mike Park. And so you can't get away with all that stuff because right. people don't know you like they know Mike Park. People don't People don't associate Hidden Home Records with Rob Lannerman. They associate Hidden Home Records with the bands that I'm putting out, you know? Right. And so, even though there is a little bit of value, they kind of associate with my male guy to an extent, actually, because I've just put his face on a bunch of stuff. But, and people seem, and he's funny. People seem to like him. But, um, what is
0: it? Is that, what is it? A male
1: guy? My male guy, yeah. Mike. He played in the band Carry On Kid. Oh, like,
0: and he sends out all your packages. Yeah, he's
1: actually Miles' roommate right now. Ah. Um, but he, yeah, he just keeps all the stuff in his garage. So he does the inventory. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it
0: ships from Boise.
1: Yeah, Caldwell or Boise it's Caldwell, technically, but I don't know, it's a Boise. I'm a Boise guy. That's a Boise label. I'm not gonna not gonna let that go. Because in New York, you don't want a ton of uh, CD stock in your apartment boxes no, no boxes. you don't you know and mike as soon as we stopped living together he was like i'm gonna buy a house now <laughs> you know and he, so he bought a house he bought a yeah yeah have you been to miles no m- house okay we almost stayed there i, I think you'd like mike a lot but... did
0: um miles moving to la
1: did you know this no i didn't
0: yeah so miles did our kickstarter fulfillment thank you miles uh, and um he had tons of boxes and stuff there and it was a long process but we're getting returns and stuff that like mm-hmm. or People change their addresses, so that he, sucks. He's moving to LA, so we're having his friend, his roommate, Mike. Mike, my mail guy He's going to have yeah. to mail stuff to LA for him. Oh anyway. yeah, he'll be he'll be good at that. That's cool. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like Miles was nice to to do that for us, and we, we paid him, but not like as you know, we didn't pay him a ton, but we paid him what we could, and like mm-hmm. he really put a lot of time into that. And that's <clears> what the label <clears> thing <throat> is. It's not this community is like, I don't know. You pay your dues by paying infinite time and not monetizing it. You know you're not going to make a dime for years, probably.
1: That's a very nice way to put my <laughs> expensive hobby. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, sometimes you, but sometimes you break and something yeah, some, just some, blows up, and
1: yeah. And in all honesty, I mean, I've said there's been a lot of things that we've talked about. that I've been like, oh man, like I, I, can't believe this is coming out. I'm so stupid. Like I can't believe I did things that way, and and I realize it more when I say it out loud, you know. But, um, but like. My, my philosophy on it is like I started this label because I want to help bands that I like and um, I have a pretty low bar for what they do you know in, in, in order for me to work with them like'm I'm not I'm not gonna put out vinyl for a band that's not going to tour okay. for instance right? right but like or if, or if it's a band I really want to work with because I like them and they're they're from my scene and they're friends and I think their music needs to be documented which is very, I guess, very discord. The more I learn about discord, but Uh it's like the idea of documenting these moments in time, you know? Yeah. And like, like my roommates band was one of those bands, um, skitter shits. But anyway, so if I'm going to like, my threshold is pretty low, but like the way I look at it is some releases break even, some don't. Um, I'm just kind of here to help the bands, but I need to set my, but what I've changed is the way that I make deals with bands. Mm. So I make it, so at some point I'll hopefully be able to at least break even. Now it'd be awesome if every band sold out the way that Casual Friday or Audio Karate did. Mm. And they're just they're just not going to and no and no yeah. and no I don't feel like most labels sell out on every release. Either. Do you print a thousand of each one or five hundred? No, no way! Like we we'll print like a hundred. Wow. CDs or 50 CDs depending on the band like it really depends on what they do because so many bands and like will come to me even bands I haven't heard of bands I've heard of and they'll be like hey can you work with us and I'll be like I'll be like if I like it you know I'll be like let's talk and and they don't have any tour plans so I'm like if you're just playing and you're right. if you're just playing in your local town prove to me that, and not to sound like all oh, like a badass or like or like a like a jerk or anything but like prove to me that you can sell 50 copies in your hometown and then I'll let's print a hundred, you know, you know, because I don't think that some people, I don't think the East coast has been kind of an interesting experience for me watching Mm. the differences between scenes over here and scenes from Boise or scenes from a, maybe a town like Salt Lake. How would you describe some of the basic differences? I think that people are just motivated and they believe they can do it here. Not even, not even believe they can make it, but they can set those goals for themselves. Like, we're going to sell out of our CDs and they'll do it. And then, like, in some of these other towns, people are like, oh, we forgot to bring our merch to the show.
0: <laughs> right. You right, know? Right. Well, that's New York also being the home of punk rock, right? It's right.
1: It's like the culture and, and people take stuff seriously. Mm-hmm. and Yeah. But I don't know if it's just New York. I think it's also just, like, because everywhere around here, I wonder if it's something to do with touring. Because every, everywhere around here is so close. So, if you start a band, it's not hard to tour here. If That's you, if true. You, if should. you're in the middle of nowhere, you your dreams get Salt shot Lake's down a little bit. city to right. Boise, right? To Boise, it is. Yeah, and and there are some really great bands from Boise that, but none of them sell their merch unless they're on tour. You yeah, know? but you know, Rob, like I don't sell physical stuff for the most part unless I'm on the road or unless we do a Kickstarter where people. Pre-order it. Well, what what I mean is like they don't even take their stuff to shows to sell. Uh, well. that, that's what I mean, and <laughs> I that means that's that's not <laughs> professional. But yeah, well, well, but there's all, but there's also I think there's there's also a really big local support around here, and there and there's not in Boise, in my opinion. You know,
0: and coming at, at least
1: for, at least for the punk rock part of it, the, the people Indian- in Boise
0: don't come to see each other's bands,
1: not as much. But as
0: didn't I- Miles. Like, with Big O, wouldn't he always bring, like, hella people or nah? Was it hit or miss? Miles did, yeah. Because he,
1: he'd call everyone. He kind of built his own little niche. He's such a on- cool dude. To be completely honest. Like, yeah. That's but, different because he's sonically but, is very interesting. He's got a really big chip, like, chip on his shoulder about the Boise scene, though. Like, he doesn't, you know, he's kind of like... I don't, I don't know. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but there's just he doesn't really. That's why he's moving to LA, I guess. Yeah, I didn't even know he was moving to LA. Doesn't he have a song about
0: that? That about why the scene, how the scene's done him wrong? Yeah, I've
1: got, I've got a chip on my shoulder, and I've been. Blah, blah, What's blah, that blah. song again? Uh, I don't know. I I know the. I base. think I'm on that song. I think you are too. It, it, yeah. it's, it's the one about this, this song, song goes, goes out, out to to people to who wouldn't book right. Me. Yeah. Cheer. Well. Well, but he he's right. Like that's the truth, you know. About and I love and I love Boise. Like since moving to New York, I'm more motivated to help the Boise scene than I was before. Like that's New, great. New man. York doesn't need someone. I mean, it it always needs people, but like, but like, there's so many. And and Boise right now, if I can just like brag on Boise for a second, there's like there's like all these young kids starting yeah. bands now and like going to each other's shows and throwing shows by themselves that like just weren't there when I was there and it's and even if like the bands aren't that good like i just think that's so cool that, that they're community doing that. yeah that community and those bands are they're gonna start good bands right. later you know but they're they're all finding independent music and they're all starting these bands and like those are the kind of bands that i'm actually really interested in working with right now cuz those are the kind of bands i feel like i i could help them and they could they could push the boise music scene into more community it's really interesting to me because it seems like
0: the dichotomy now with music is you do the scene, you play locally, you sell merch, you try to get your friends to come out, or you just go hard, make a YouTube channel, buy a green screen, and mm. do what, a thousand rap videos about Marvel or Star Wars or, or <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like with the Nerdcore stuff, like oh, video okay. game stuff, or, or or you become like a theme band and just really go hard on YouTube mm-hmm. and you can monetize it. And it doesn't matter where you're from and you have no allegiances or connections to, um, a physical place. And it seems like those are the two extremes where music culture is going. And I really obviously am a fan of the former because that's where I come from. But Mm I have also like love YouTube and been able to use that for my own capacity. Oh, for sure. But it's interesting, man, because it's like, okay, so Miles, it seems like he's pivoting to do more of a mainstream thing, rebranding and like kind of like higher quality videos. And I think that's smart because then you're not relying on like your 20 fans in the city or a hundred fans to like mm-hmm. always come see you. Because if you play a same town, you know, more than once or twice a year, your numbers are going to definitely d- go down a little.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, well, I'm just trying to think of on his level. Cause I've, I've played a lot of those shows with him. You know, I've played Salt Lake twice in yeah. twice in a year. He played Salt Lake three or four times in a year. One time. And it was great. Well, because he did the, he did one date and then he played two sold out shows with Froggy Fresh. Okay. So when you're
0: headlining, it's different than supporting okay, okay, someone, okay. I guess. Okay. Right. If you're supporting someone who's got the draw, then that can be actually help.
1: Right. Right. Because then I went back with him later. I guess it wasn't that year. It was like right at the beginning of the next year. But these Was kids, it Kilby
0: Court? What was the venue? Uh,
1: I don't know if it was Kilby Court. I have been, yeah. I've been to Kilby Court. I love that yeah. venue. Um, yeah. But no, I I don't know where it was. Uh, it might have been Kilby Court actually. But then he played, so he played Salt Lake, and then he played Provo. Oh, and so Provo is the big BYU town. Like Mormons love Froggy Fresh. Yeah, yeah, they do because he <laughs> does, he's clean. Because he's clean. Do Do Mormons love MC Lars? I too? think they do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> shout out to the Mormons. Mormons love the Aquabats.
1: Because they, they are Mormons. <laughs> yeah, which is
0: great. Shout out to shout out to the whole Church of Latter Day Saints. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I actually have. Yeah, yeah, the punk scene in Salt Lake is really interesting to me. I'm not, I'm not Mormon, but watching the dichotomy between like these Mormon kids who are into punk and are kind of more progressive Mormons, and then watching these other bands that are either a lot of them are really atheistic because they grew up Mormon and they and, and then just flipped on it. So it's really interesting, like uh-huh. seeing the songwriting that comes out of that. There's a lot of really good. There's a lot of really, really good bands in Salt Lake. They've got a cool scene, man.
0: They're, That's I'm,
1: awesome. I'm really stoked on it. I, I almost put out another Salt Lake band this year. I probably put out more Salt Lake bands and Boise bands, actually. Wow. Yeah. That's tight. Yeah, I love it all.
0: So, okay, so anyway, so but Miles, it's been interesting because you've played mm-hmm. bass in different bands and worked with different people and seen their approach. Mm-hmm. And what always intrigued me about, this is the last thing we'll say about Miles, is that oh, he really like you said, you have to hit the road to get an mm-hmm. audience, and he, he's he done that as hard. much as he can. He knows yeah. it's an opportunity. That's why it was so dope that you guys did that whole tour with us, where some shows were great, some were not, and but we we survived it, and, mm-hmm. and I think it helped his business grow a little bit, I, I hope. I think it did, too. Yeah, and that's like, that's just the thing. It's like, people remember that live experience, and punk and indie music is about, we're doing this because we have to and we want to, and we know that there's, it's not sponsored by Budweiser, but it's right, here. Right, right. And that's why, you know, I'll never want to sponsor on the podcast, and I'm grateful for the audience that listens and all the Patreon supporters, and it's like, okay, well...
1: You don't, have, you don't have a sponsor on it? No. At all? So yeah. you, you, And you're not I, going to? You're just going to have, like... You're just going to use Patreon?
0: Yeah, I shout out the Patreon. The Patreon oh, people yeah. support it. So the new that's people, awesome. every week, I shout out them. So this is brought to you by these people. I love that. So, yeah, and it's kind of like this... Peop- your brand becomes... Your genuine personality mm-hmm. and I feel like that's knowing you that's something that works well for you people you're a likable guy
1: I hope I mean I, I guess I hope so I I think that I'm just kind of over-impressing people at this point but I'm definitely like when I think about my, my friend uh, put it really well to me he's like you know I think the thing I realized about hidden home is that all the bands are really good songwriters like the, hey. they're all kind of songwritery punk bands which doesn't doesn't mean they all sound like red city radio or like a folky kind of a thing it just means that they're probably a little bit poppy and upbeat even if they're like more of an emo band there's kind of a, a flow to it a flow to it that way and i just i don't know i i hope that people can enjoy that or see that maybe they don't yeah. i don't know so you when you what would you
0: say the the most predominant genre is on your label
1: i just call it a punk label i don't yeah. really worry about it i just i i guess pop punk is i we are, I, so I work, I work in SEO and, uh, I recently found out that we that's are. That's your day job. Uh, yeah. I recently found out that we are ranking number one for Boise pop punk. So hey! <laughs> I guess, I guess that's a thing, but.
0: What's the biggest band ever from Boise? Built to Spill?
1: Yeah. Built to Spill. Then there's Paul Revere and the Raiders and actually oh. Youth Lagoon is from Boise. What's the other one? Youth Lagoon. Have you ever heard of Youth no. Lagoon? Okay. You but should.
0: Paul Revere and the Raiders covered Louie Louie.
1: Do they? Yeah. I know I don't I think know are big hits. I don't know anything about them. I just know they're from Boise. Boise doesn't have a lot of bands that are broken out. Otis Julius. Otis Julius. <laughs> Wait,
0: what what's well what about hip hop? Is there any rap from it or is it too
1: Oh there's rap. Non- there's rap. There's some cool rap there. Um anyone that I might know? I don't know if you'd know them. I've actually worked with a, a few guys and went to school with a few guys. Andy O... Axiom, the wise. Um, those are people I work with.
0: Would you ever put out a rap album, or is that too like left field you know, and weird? No,
1: I thought about it. I, I have a friend who used to play in punk bands who asked me, and then I actually had this girl who hit me up to put her rap album out, and she was really good. And I told her, like, hey, if you can't find a label, like, we'll you know we'll talk. But the thing, the thing is, like, I don't know what I would do with rap. It, it'd be like starting over with the PR stuff. The way right. that I, like it took me. And every time you do something new with a label, like like recording your finances, for you know, or uh, or I guess catching up at this point, but like, or like doing the PR thing, like making your list or making your your radio list or your distributor list, which is something I'm both of those are things I'm working on right now. Like, anytime you do it, it takes so much time to establish that initial thing, and. I guess I, I would put a rap album out, but they know just, your genre. Well, I just of. I just don't know how I would promote it because I'm not so savvy on like the history of rap and like the culture of rap. It would
0: have to be rap with like a live rock band to make sense. I right? think I'd
1: like it better that way. It's not like I don't yeah. like rap. Like I like some old rap. I like Nas and NWA and stuff like the classics, if you will. But Are you, do you
0: feel like you get like super bored and like angry at rap, new
1: rap, at new rap? Well,
0: do you, I don't know. Is, it, is this
1: because we had the the texting conversation about emo rap? Well, what do
0: yeah? What do you think about that that whole
1: movement? I think that you are someone who's helped me be a little bit less jaded. So I think that I don't, and honestly, I just don't like it. But if yeah. I, but I think that you definitely. When you pointed out the diy aspect of it i really kind of related to it and i thought it was cool and i kind of gave it a little bit of a listen it's yeah. still not something i like but i can appreciate the ethic behind
0: it a lot of it celebrates things that maybe i don't agree with
1: personally right right and then that was always the argument against rap growing up do you remember when there was like that whole like Antipical like i i, I like like I don't. I don't like rap and country. Was like the thing that people oh, right. would always say. Like I, I, my first Warped tour when I was fourteen, I saw a kid wearing a shirt that said "rap plus country equals crap."
0: Okay. And, and I was, I was like, okay. And uh, rap and country equals equals yellow wolf.
1: <laughs> now they kind of merged, right? That's a whole <laughs> movement, the country rap <laughs> stuff. But the but the argument was always like, the argument was always like, oh well, they're just singing about weed and bitches and money and partying. And then and then I realized like one, like we all listen, like all those people listen to classic rock. So they don't get any room to talk about like misogyny in music okay. and music and, and yeah. like, and like these shallow topics. And then right. two, and then two or drugs, even like all that stuff, glorified drug use, you know? And then, and then I also just think that, what I didn't realize at the time is that there's just kind of some racist connotations under the surface. So even if the people who believed those things or were told those things mm-hmm. weren't being racist, they, it probably kind of came from a racist place of like, cause there, there's just such this, like there was just such an opposition to rap music for glorifying those things. But, but which is like, I guess like a predominantly like black genre. Right. But not for like white music. Right to say like I don't I like all music but rap that has a little racism in it. Yeah, I I, I think that for some people it does for sure. Yeah, like I, don't, I like if you genuinely don't like it, then whatever. But I think that, but I guess just like if you, if you're gonna if you're gonna talk down on like a predominantly black genre for the same things that you and something you like, you're you're a hypocrite. Right. And so there's there's something weird there, you know. Yeah, I agree, and that's the thing when yeah. people are like.
0: I don't like rap music, but I like you. People say that to me I'm like, oh, don't say that to me. (laughs) (laughs) And no, I was kind of playing devil's advocate because I meant like, I wonder if uh, the ethos of uh, Mm -hmm. Hidden Home Records and like the family thing and printing physical copies, that stuff is like, and touring, that stuff is very antithetical to like the new, I feel like aesthetic and and, uh, business model of rap is that you just make YouTube stuff and you do a lot of it. You collab Mm -hmm. with people who are big and maybe don't necessarily tour unless something blows up and you just put Mm. out tons of stuff and you don't ever print physical stuff and a lot of Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of rap a lot of rappers like I've toured with and stuff don't have merch. It's just a different level. Yeah, bigger rappers. You know, like when we open for we for young jock or Snoop, like they didn't have merch because it's like well they Snoop
1: didn't have merch? He didn't even have like shirts with his face. No, I mean I guess
0: there is a lot of Snoop Dogg merch, but like he didn't it was a college show, so he didn't have like a merch booth. Right? Oh, okay. So it's different. Yeah. It's different. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's like, I wonder how many, yeah. Like if a rap, you, to, someone to sign with your label and work with you, they have to be like on your team. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe hip hop is a lot of individualism. I've seen that in, my, in the nerdcore scene. Everyone wants to be like their big fish. So we collaborate, but we don't really work together business-wise unless we're touring. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Signing with like, if Frontalot had a label, it would seem really weird to sign to it. It Would seem like ridiculous because it would mean like his business model makes more sense than mine. You know, interesting. What I mean? Yeah, because we all have try to build our own platforms. Mm-hmm. You
1: know, nerdcore is so interesting to me because I didn't know it was really like a community until we did that tour with you, and it was, it was definitely like it was really cool though. And I think because it was it was the Ran Lars tour. Yeah. And, right. And then we were opening... two big fish. two big fish. <laughs> and there was so much... The racial unity uh, in the audience and, like, the diversity in the audience was really cool, first yeah. of all. Cause especially coming from, like, a predominantly, like, punk rock background. So, where it's mostly... Boise not, punk rock. And, yeah, well, Boise, too. Yeah. It's very non-diverse. But even touring, yeah. you know, there's not a ton of diversity. Right, right. Um, at, at least racial diversity. So... That was really cool, and it was very unifying and very awesome, but like the other thing was just like these people like were just so excited to be there and were just enjoying themselves so much and for for this music that like for this type of music that I was so unfamiliar with so it right, was just it was fun it was really cool yeah, and like cool. and and they were so positive there was so much po- that's i guess that's like the biggest thing that I took away from it was like the positivity, yeah that's yeah. that's
0: they're happy to be at the show and they actually, when the first band goes on, they're in the front because mm-hmm. they are like, I think a lot of Nerdcore fans don't go to a lot of shows. So it's an exciting thing when they do. yeah So like when Big O would go on, they'd all be in the front and you know what I mean? Right, right, right. And that was dope. And they're, mm-hmm. they are very positive. it's it, We mm-hmm. couldn't ask for like a better audience. And that therefore, so the, the branding there is just like the the metrics of like, Spotify recommending the similar ones to each other and Pandora and everything. Right. But it's like, that is kind of an intersection of old school and new school like media, right? Versus, but I don't know, imagine mm-hmm. if there were a label that we were all on and that label had a lot of funding, like, I don't know, that would have been interesting if that had happened 10 years ago. Would it have helped or would it have hurt the scene? I don't know. Like the streaming stuff? Yeah, like, like if a record label had signed all of us and like mm-hmm. funded our records, like the bigger artists and then, um branded it together maybe we'd all have so, collectively more youtube views i don't know
1: okay so can we get into your history a sure bit? sure okay so because you okay so the first time i actually the first time i heard mc lars was on a podcast it was on mark the mark hoppus podcast um hi mark i know you're listening <laughs> yeah i think i think the first time i told you that you were like I still haven't met that fool or something yeah i haven't like met that. him
0: i talked we used to email a lot he and uh he was he's
1: very nice but okay. i've never met him irl Ooh. okay well your time is coming <laughs> hopefully um but yeah so i and i remember it was download this song and the only reason i remember that was because he was like we don't necessarily agree with mc lars on his point of view before we play this song yeah but um and that's what you would say if you're Mansion was paid so, for by a major label, right? Right, and so yeah. and so that song is about like how you should go ahead and download music illegally. Yes,
0: yes, and then support the band by seeing them live. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. cool,
1: okay, cool. I've I've watched you play that song a lot. Um, yeah, right. So I I don't know all the words, I guess. So okay, but um, were you on
0: a label at that time? Was I had that a management company that had a dist- distribution deal through. I guess it was Universal. So Horace okay. Records was distributed through Universal because my management company, Network, had mm-hmm. deals with stuff that they pressed. We they got in stores.
1: Really? But, okay. So you, but you've always been on Horace Records, but you had the distribution of a major label, right? So whoa! So, but
0: that was because, like, it what? But they weren't
1: paying for anything. They were just shipping it to record stores. Yeah, but still, that's that's like the dream, isn't it? To that have was like, tight. To be completely independent, but also have like the power of like a major? No, it was a really good situation.
0: And I kind of, it, the smoke and mirrors of like MC Lars, Mr. DIY. Like I had, you know, Network, at their height, they, they managed Coldplay and Avril Lavigne mm-hmm. and Sum 41 and Brand New. And mm-hmm. so it was like those connections helped me achieve this viral, like recognition in the early days of social media because everyone wanted to do a favor for Network so that they would give them a premiere of the Sum 41 video. Or whatever. So that's oh. why people like Mark Hoppus heard my stuff because I guess brand new had opened for Blink and mm-hmm. Tom, my former manager,
1: got Mark my music. Tom DeLonge, your former manager. <laughs> no,
0: Tom Gates. <laughs> yeah, Tom DeLonge. Right. So that was so that was yeah. like the story there. So okay. it was just through connections. But it was kinda like that thing of like friends helping friends. I never signed a deal with a major label, but I'd had meetings with them, but it would just never I don't know. What do you have business. signed to a major label? That's a you good think? question. If a label, when I'd started, if a label had been like, here's a hundred grand, like we want to get behind you and they had Mm -hmm. a cool roster, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of money, you know, that was like (laughs) what you would, that's like the minimum of what they would be offering back in the day, you Mm -hmm. know, that's what bands would get. So yeah, I may have, but that money would have dried up quick and I wouldn't be getting the streaming royalties then because they would have owned the masters. Right. So... And they wouldn't have
1: wanted me to do a song about how you should steal music. Well, okay, so that's why I asked, because for some reason I thought you were on Universal at one point. So I was like, how did he get away with that? You know, like that was
0: the (sighs) Chris, and that song charted in Australia. And I remember like the press people there, I did interviews. They're like, well, you have major label distribution, but you're telling people to steal your music. What, like, this is inauthentic. And I was like, oh, it gets complicated. So
1: what's the worst country you've ever been to as far as press questions?
0: Oh, like. Oh, like questions plugging, ho- like poking holes in your integrity. Mm-hmm. I remember in we we did this thing in the Netherlands when the, this nerdcore documentary premiered there, and they kind of insinuated that it was like a, a hipster thing that we were like putting on a fake thing to be nerdy was just to get people to see us, but
1: Gosh. no one cared, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that sucks. I don't know. That's uh, so dumb.
0: I mean, you just got to keep it moving and be joyful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate Honestly, I just. People always talk about it in interviews, so...
0: Yeah, you know. I, you know, interviews are... I wonder how much they help. We had a whole bunch of press for the for the Dewey Decibel, and I think it's cool that the word's out there, and it's cool for us to post them, but mm-hmm. uh, do you find that press helps you stream and sell records, or is it more the touring and the, like, music videos and stuff? Touring helps
1: selling. Touring helps to sell. And sometimes Reddit. I don't, yeah. I don't know why, I mean... I had my account banned for a while because I would just go spam Reddit with all all our releases. Like like Bad Boy. Like at, like every time we'd put Yeah, I know, I mean, I don't know if I should care or not, but like I know that Reddit's like it's like this important community and it's like a safe haven for the internet or whatever. But like It's just so active and big. Well, right. But there's like all the so I, I followed all these music Reddits. And I like Reddit, but I just never used it. And then I started putting releases out, and realized, oh, I can just go down and like post in the release. And then eventually, I have to wait ten minutes. But the thing is, it works. Like people, you know, people listen to listen to that That's stuff. Smart. And so, uh, especially if you get onto like a tape collector thing, and you just put a tape out, or like a vinyl collector, and right. you just put a seven inch out. Like things like that are really cool, and people respond to that. It's actually, it's kind of one of, from what I can tell. It's one of the only places on the internet where people are still like active in a forum that isn't really strictly social media. And isn't monetized by a corporation. Right, right. Like, when I've done AMAs, it's been
0: so great. The really? reaction, Yeah. I did three, mm-hmm. I think. And, like, they're all... People
1: are very engaged on that. It's, a, it's a community. It's very punk rock, really, when you is. think about
0: it. And it's fun. And it's, yeah. like...
1: So there's a tape trading one? Yeah. Oh, dude. This one guy, he, he wanted, like, four of the tapes we had. And so... He but he sent me like an an unopened double mountain goats LP for four of our tapes. Dang. So instead of instead of but I don't usually do trading, I usually like market it or like I was looking for other labels to trade with at the time because I one of the things I did really early on was I traded with a lot of labels. I traded with paper and plastic, I traded with it's alive, I you know, things like like kind of decently bigger labels that were just they were really nice and they trade with me. But this guy was like, I don't run a label, but here, I'll send you this. I'll send you like this LP because I like these tapes you had. And I don't. Right. I don't even know how he heard about all those tapes, but he, he did. So good job, Rob. The word is out. You're <laughs> joining another podcast. I haven't done a lot of interviews. I the band. Some of the bands I've been have done a good amount of interviews. I can. Yeah, I don't know. I think okay. So here, but here's my here's my theory, right? Yeah. Um, I think that there's certain sites that still have built-in followings. And people and you know because you can watch the play count when you stream something with them. Like you World could, Star, hip hop. Or for uh, example right, or in like in my in my experience, like a new noise magazine's website or a dying scene or punk news. And those sites will still like people are still active on those websites and they'll listen to the bands. Is uh, Absolute Punk still around? Nah. No, he became like a uh, chorus FM. Mm. So that's Jason Tate. Jason Tate. Yeah, that's the same guy. Wow. Okay. I, I don't know if I've ever talked to him. Anyway, but yeah, there's a few sites that have that that like credibility still. But I still am not selling things, even if people comment and they're like, "This is rad," or we get a lot of plays.
0: So those, so you're saying if you get interviews on those high profile sites, they kind of it helps with brand awareness I, potentially. Right. It helps with brand awareness, but I, I don't really see a big sales increase. What's the biggest press you ever got for any of your artists or releases? Like the biggest platform and how did that work so i'm, Translate.
1: I'm not going to count the audio karate one because wiretap works with earshot i mean, if you know yeah you know earshot okay yeah. cool um mike cubulos i think uh and uh and he's rad but i honestly the first wicked bears ep i don't know why i had you know i and how'd I you were- get the how'd you get that article or that post it, what? Oh, oh! You're talking about one post, like yeah. Oh, oh! Not, not like the overall. yeah, like one like oh, big like oh, mainstreamish um,
3: hmm. Rolling
1: Stone cover. <laughs> I would say
0: I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's kind of cool you can't quantify because then it means that you're just like fighting the good fight. It's not like a
1: yeah. The we did the Casual Friday record on oh, what was it? we did the casual Friday record on punk and they, they got a lot of plays there. I also spammed it on Facebook though. I I did the same. I did the Reddit thing through like Facebook groups. Yeah. Um, which takes a lot of time, but it works is the, is the thing. Like people, if you post it in the right place, like it just takes a lot of effort and like that way you might sell a little bit more. Right. But, um, anyway, uh, so probably either that or the other thing I just thought of was, uh, the, the, the last release we did which is by this band Urban Outfielders from Boise. They're like a baseball themed pop punk band. Were you playing that band? I uh, I used to. Okay. Off the record I used to. Um, Urban it, Outfielders. It, it's, a, it's a persona band so it's like You dress in baseball clothes. Yeah. My character got killed off. He had a, a steroid overdose. <laughs> oh. So uh, but yeah anyway point being you know that that EP was on Punk News and that was our first stream on Punk News and that was like a big deal to me because I grew up on the Punk News website and like learning about bands and reading reviews and stuff like that. And that, I I don't know why that site hasn't updated its code for like 20 years, but you know, like regardless, people are still active on it. retro. People are still active on it, even with like a broken text and everything, so. Let me ask you a question, Rob. What
0: advice would you give an artist? And I
1: wonder this, sometimes
0: I've wondered like if I were to, I mean, I can't do this because I have podcasts to the Patreon and I'm very active online, but like I imagine... If I were to disappear for a year and go in a cabin and just write like 50 songs mm-hmm. and put the best nine out, that would be an amazing album. And like in the era of albums and 90s culture, that's what the bands would do. And that would then allow your career to progress. Mm-hmm. Is that possible still? Is that an antiquated idea? Is that like idealistic? Like what does a band, What? how can a band create the best art possible and then translate that into a monetized career as a musician
1: that's my question that's ai don't know why you're asking me that because i I, well, mean, I, just, the- I, just, I just told you all of the worst things about all, <laughs> all of my business quote unquote <laughs> mistakes you know right and how i'm trying to overcome them which i'm not you know i'm not over that hump yet like i i can like i don't think bands lose anything by i think they gain by working with me but i'm not really gaining monetary amounts but the idea is like can you make a record that is so
0: great that the indie promo and like one or two videos will then translate into a career for a band or a solo artist. Is that possible? I think, like,
1: I think it's possible, but I think it's lucky too, you know? Like, like Macklemore,
0: it, it happened for him, but he had huge, m- m- big agents working
1: for him. So. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I think of a band like, I don't know how DIY all these bands are, but I think, right. I think of a band like, you know, Mom Jeans? Yeah. Have you heard, I've of, heard of them James? Yes. I yeah think from you. From me? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh yeah, and I don't really know those guys super well. I know I know a couple of them a little bit, but they uh they're a band that blew up on Reddit working with an East Coast label and they just now you know. They tour a lot? A lot. And they're real cool, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, they're pretty cool. I, I, I don't I don't have a problem with them. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think touring still matters is kind of what... Is touring, like, I wonder if... I think touring and going viral is probably what matters. There like, you go. Like, you think about a band like Modern Baseball who played a bike shop in my hometown, and then they, they had, like, a video get a lot of recognition, and people really liked the song. So and an so amazing it's, video it's is the key. I think it's...
0: And an amazing song.
1: Good songs and good videos, because I don't think Mom Jeans had a video... For their first record, they just wow. they just got lucky. That's rare. Yeah, yeah they, they they just got on listen to listen to us on Reddit, you know, and they just blew up. Mm. And but touring does touring does so much. Like the band Just Friends, which was an Open Door Records band at one point, and then they went to Counterintuitive, and now they're on uh, Pure Noise. Like that band, their first record should have been could have been huge, but really, I think what worked for them was that they toured a lot. Did they tour headline or were they opening for bigger people? I mean they were DIY touring, so that's huge, man. That's so know, brave and they they toured down bankless. to <laughs> they, they toured down to Fest. My yeah. buddy Dan who kind of runs the label got them got them onto Fest. Was able to do that. And he wow. runs and he runs his label the way I run mine, you know. He doesn't he doesn't break even on every release. He doesn't he doesn't uh I don't know, he's not super like whatever he's not he's not he's not making bands sign contracts and having them like do anything like do anything crazy or pay him back but he he believed in their band and they toured a lot and then they sold out of their copies and then you know he made more for them and then they signed and then they toured a lot and they went down to fest and then they signed to a different label a different diy label Mm -hmm. and then now they're on Pure Noise, which has Less Than Jake right now, and it has Masked Intruder right now, and Mm. the story So Far, you know, these big boys, really big bands. Oh, and but the other, but you know what, the other thing about, I don't know, I think good songs matter a lot just putting a good record out. Right. In a band, and I know we're probably going over time, but in a band like Just Friends Case, they put out basically like a funk record for their second. LP they started as like a pop punk band and they right. got like a weird record so yeah. I don't know maybe that has something to do with it but.
0: so I guess my question is does getting in a van and DIY touring does it give you credibility and like have people in the scene respect you or do people be like you're wasting your time go freaking put out more SoundCloud and YouTube no, people
1: people respect the hell out of it I think I that's don't.
0: great but I always I guess I fear that like the young generation doesn't care unless it's like Trended on YouTube main page music,
1: I just don't believe that at all I, th- I love I, that Rob, thank I, you for saying I think, that. I just think that people if you put out a good re- i like you need to be on social media I'm assuming uh-huh. well, I mean what do I know i'm just I'm kind of saying this from afar, but like you're an outlier i'm an, I'm an outlier I mean casual Friday did really good, but but you know casual Friday hasn't toured a lot, so our sales have gone way down you know, <laughs> I don't know I think if casual yeah. fri and casual Friday played fest they did like a three week tour out to fest and back, but I think that since they aren't touring a lot, they're you know we we haven't te- we haven't technically sold out of all their records. We've gotten really close. Some of the other labels sold out, but I think that if they were touring and playing more shows, we'd, we we would have sold out by now.
0: And that's expensive. And back in the day, labels would support pay for bands to be on tour, right? They'd give them tour support. If they were
1: a big enough label, I think they would. Yeah,
0: and that's you can't do that when you're no. trying to
1: recoup your costs. I'm kind of just trying to live in New York right now. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many did you put out a year? New albums. The last two years, I've put out a lot of. The last three years, I put out a lot of albums, and then this year, I haven't put out much. Well, how many years have you been going since twenty fifteen? Uh, I right? uh, I probably I've done twenty five right now. Oh geez, so every so year, I have probably been like six a year out at one point. Jeez. do
0: you think you'll do more or less this year in your life? Like, do you want to keep putting out less albums or do you want to put out like a few I want to I, I, I
1: want to put out like three to four a year be, so I can really focus efforts on those ones. You That's know? still a lot like it. It, it is. But I, yeah, I just, I just want to do that so I can really fo- focus all my PR efforts and all that stuff on. But for a while, you know, I was getting going and we were getting press and then more and more bands came to me that I liked. I was like, oh cool, let's do it. Oh cool, let's do it. Oh cool, let's do it. And then I was like, okay, this isn't working out as <laughs> as good as I thought. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway. What's your place? so ten years, where do you wanna be? What's your dream for the label? I wanna in ten years I wanna still be able to put out a record here and there and have people listen to it. That that's my that's my dream. So if I have kids and I'm not able to, you know, be doing the label all the time or whatever because I, I don't know. I don't see this as a profession, you know. Yeah. But but if we but if we could build a following, and uh, I guess build a network where people like the records and they're they're buying them or at least listening to them, and I could still help out bands here and there. That I think that would be my dream.
0: We always do physical releases. Is that kind of yeah. the charm of it? Yeah. Hey.
1: <laughs> How'd you figure that out?
0: I was just wondering because it's like. I just wonder, I, I, these days it's like, everyone's like,
1: oh, I don't do physical, ah, ah. but you've seen it you printing a lot still. Probably a better, like, it's probably a better business model, but I, I just, I, I do the label the way that I would like it as a fan. That's great. You know, and the, the only things I really compromise are on are if it's something that like the band wants specifically, you know? Okay. Um, like like if they're like, hey, can you help us get onto this website or whatever? And I'm like, oh, I don't really like that website. I'll still try to get them onto that website. You know, like what—that's not a big deal to me at all. But I but I really try to do physical copies for for every. Release do you do studio. more CDs or more vinyl? CDs because vinyl is more expensive at yeah. this point. And bands don't if a band isn't touring, I'm not going to get them vinyl. Right. I, I'm like and I and I don't I don't care about that. Like I, I yeah. like like I have I have no. Guilty feelings about that. You know? So you do more vinyl or cassettes? Cassettes at this point. Yeah. But vin- vinyl, the problem is vinyl sells better, but if a band's not touring, then they're still not selling vinyl. So you're, so instead of being out like, you know, whatever, a few hundred, not even a few hundred bucks, instead of being out like a hundred bucks, you're, you're out like a thousand bucks. With vinyl. V- with, vinyl with vinyl,
0: with yeah. vinyl. So like you, how many units do you usually do a vinyl? If you love the band and they think they're going to sell them.
1: I have done two fifty. And what is that per unit? Five bucks a unit. Um, I mean, it obviously it depends on like non gatefold, non colored disc. For me, it's been for like an LP. It's been about eight to nine bucks per unit. Um, that's expensive. So then they have to sell it for like 25 to see any mm -hmm, profit. mm -hmm.
0: That's what we sell our vinyl for. And, it's expensive, but it's like it's so expensive to but, make.
1: And and just to be just to be clear, you don't have to tour all the time to sell your vinyl. Though, like I, the band of Wicked Bears has been really good about that. Like we got them vinyl because their record did so good. You know. Yeah. And um, how many, How and, many months a year do you think a band should be touring? I mean, it depends on what they want to do. You know, like like three months a year. I don't, I don't know because it's it's really hard to say for bands at like a DIY level who live in the middle of nowhere, like if you want to go really hard and just make a career out of it, then do it, I guess. But I don't know if most bands want to do that. Most bands, most bands I talk to aren't like, Oh, we're going to make a career out of this. You know, they're right. Even the bands that have blown up. I don't think that they started the band being like, Oh, we're going to make a career out of it. I think that it's just kind of happened. And I bet, I bet some of those bands signing to those bigger labels that are kind of from those scene. I'm sort of in, I would bet, I would bet that they still have day jobs when they get home as well. You know, because then it's – I guess in that
0: case, your art isn't – there's not so much pressure to like keep the band together. And it's like every song you write, oh, this has to be a hit. That sucks, right? If you're like – art, when you make art because you want to and because from the heart, it's the best. If it's yeah. like trying
1: to be the next Green Day,
0: you're probably going to be disappointed.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that there's like a real – I don't know. I don't know. It's been interesting because I I kind of assumed growing up and being naive that like everyone was going to be on the, you know, in agreement with that. But now but now I know people who are like, well, you kind of play the game, too, and you kind of do this. But I find that like, at least for me, the bands that I end up liking or disliking, like the bands that grow old on me are the ones that seem inauthentic to me. Right. So if you can fool me good enough, I guess good for you. But like, I, I just doesn't. If it, if if you sound like a parody of your band, then I don't want to listen to it anymore. If you sound like you're cashing in on what made you popular, then. Mm. But I'm, but I'm, but I'm a music fan and I'm a musician, so it's a little bit different for me, you know.
0: Right, right. So there's always.
1: uh, I was talking to Neil from Cuckoo
0: Kangaroo about this. Mm -hmm. That there's a time when you should quit. Sometimes it's good to know when enough is enough. You know what mm, I mean? And interesting some great bands were like okay, we're done, you know? Or yeah. and or or in the to go back to Nirvana, if someone dies, then their catalog becomes very like special and untainted, right? So you just need to
1: kill band members.
0: Exactly. Often, <laughs> just like cut their brakes in the tour van. Rob, <laughs> no, please. don't do that. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Rob, don't do it. Don't do it.
1: Yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, Where can fools look up your flavor? <laughs> Where can people you, find you? You can go to uh Facebook Obviously, um, ban If you want to hear the bands, just go to hiddenhomerecords.bandcamp.com. And then, what about on Facebook? It's just hidden home records. Yeah, Facebook, hidden home records. Twitter, I think it's hidden home Rex. How about uh, Rex with an X or C- C-S. R- yes. Okay, here's another question. Instagram, hidden home records. How about Snapchat? Uh, I do not use Snapchat for the label. I deleted it. Do you use Snapchat? I deleted it. I do use Snapchat, but I don't use it very much anymore. And now that Instagram has those stories, I'm not using Snapchat. They, kinda, they cannibalize Snapchat. Yeah, they did. Snapchat still has some pretty cool filters, though. And I don't know. It can be fun for some things. But, but you know, sometimes I just prefer to chat
0: with people. That's why I do the MC Lars podcast.
1: <laughs> snap, snap. Uh, no, but oh. uh,
0: <laughs> Rob, uh, this has been a really good interview. Do you have any questions for me as we wind down?
1: But like, I want to talk to you about c.s lewis and i want to talk oh, and i want to talk to you about, we both love c.s lewis right and i want to talk to you about like adam and his package why don't we talk about this
0: on the air dog
1: okay let's do it yeah adam's package you got into them recently well kind of yeah i think it was probably it was before i met you but i read yeah. that i read that noisy article that uh dan ozzy wrote about them shout out to dan Ozzie. he doesn't know me but he uh he's probably my favorite journalist as far as like music journalism goes, that's
0: a great the device article mm-hmm. about his timelessness.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I remember listening to, uh, what's that song? <laughs> if you, if, if you're the owner of the Washington Redskins, you're a cock or something right, like that. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like so juvenile in the way he puts it, but it's a, addressing like a really serious topic. So I thought that was really cool. And I just reading about his DIY ethics, I was like, oh, this is sick. And yeah, and I
0: love uh, his politics and his mm-hmm.
1: melodies and how he used comedy to speak bigger truths. That was such an mm-hmm. influence on. Me. I listened to your podcast with him and I, I know you guys were talking about that. That's like, cool. Yeah. No, Thanks I, for listening to that dude. Yeah. I've, I've listened to a few of them. I listened to the Vinny from the movie life one. Did you listen to the big O one. I Yeah. I did. did we talk about you? I uh, I, I, my name was dropped. I think I <laughs> us up. I don't, I don't really care, but
0: C.S. Lewis. We've talked about that because we're both Christians mm-hmm. and uh, we both love the Narnia. Well, I actually both.
1: finished my college degree with a C.S. Lewis class. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. I needed one. I literally needed one credit, and my college wouldn't waive it. So, did you read *Mere Christianity*? I did read *Mere Christianity*. What do you think of that book? Um, I like it a lot. It's really kind of inspired my. Uh, my faith. I guess I should actually really quickly say that hidden home like isn't a christian label because people are going to hear this and be like, "Oh, this, this it's like christian punk, it's not. Most of the bands are not religiously affiliated." That's fine. That's good. Yeah. But anyway, back What does mere mean in mere Christianity? It's spelled M E R E. It's not like a mirror. like I'm brushing it's like, my teeth it's like in basic. The it's it's like the baseline Christianity. It's like so yeah. if, if you want to know what Christianity is and like why people believe in it and what it's like and like what it means to be a, uh, a Christ follower. If you will, then you, this is, this is it. This is mere Christianity. This is, and, and he kind of makes a point for like why he thought people should believe it. Then he, then he goes into, and he goes into what it is. And I don't know. It's a, it's a good book. I think it's good at taking complicated issues and breaking them down into simple words. What about the screw tape letters? Yeah. Yeah. I read that in the class. What's that about? It's about. <laughs> I don't. I'm not so familiar with that. one. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's about demons uh, who are after this. It's like letters from like a chief demon to like a, like a, I don't know, like a his associate or whatever. Yeah, it's a. It's about them trying to ruin this guy's life. That that one's really good, even if you don't believe in like, heaven or hell or like God or whatever. Because it, the thing about the thing I like about C.S. Lewis a lot is that he's very intellectual. And so, for me, it made me really aware of my own thoughts, mm. and you know, and um, made me very self-aware reading a book like that. And so, yeah, I don't know. He, C.S. Lewis is cool because he was really into philosophy, and he was also really in, and he's just a very like reasonable dude for the most part. He was. He's dead, but yeah. <laughs> And he and I think a
0: lot, what turns a lot of people off about religion is the dogmatic. You have to believe this because we said so. Right, don't right, question right. it. Mm-hmm. And that's like, well, why should I?
1: And there's actually a quote in the Screw Tape letters where he says, where where he basically said, like the one demon is tra- talking to the other demon. He's like, don't let this guy use his brain. Me- meaning, like thinking is a good thing. Is what mm. C.S. Lewis is arguing, in that is, it's like, it's, a, it's a good thing to th- to think and to analyze things and to research things and to and to try to find what's true and to question things like it's it's always good to do that you know yeah it's crucial it's oh, it's so crucial if you don't think
0: you're not if any like your religion should always think about it and yeah, yeah that's something that's
1: important and i know that like growing up in evangelicalism as they call it now um i guess that's always what they called it but now it's like a now it's almost like a weird post thing but like growing up as an evangelical um i don't i don't think i'd still be a christian if i still related to the emotional side of that because so much of it was based on emotion i just can't do it anymore like i can't keep mm. up with the emotion of of a belief like or, or of like a of like a culture it just, The The non examined emotion yeah and it, yeah and it, yeah and it feels just it just feels so fake like going like finding going to church is hard for me like i still go to church but it's but like the music's really hard for me because so often it's so like emotionally driven. But yeah, I'm always I'm always kind of like, well, what are you thinking about? Like, what are you or like, right? What, what's what's the backbone of this emotion? That's great. That
0: Ian from Aquabats wrote a book. Uh, it's called the Sound Salvation, and it's the idea that rock and roll feels a lot of like similar connections to religion. In that, like the a group activity, the ceremony mm-hmm. of the rock show, and how mm-hmm. like with the right music that they can be like, they can go together. It's a great, that's his master's thesis. Oh, really? Yeah. That's tight. It's pretty cool. So I feel you, I feel you, Rob. And sometimes I still go to church, but sometimes I feel like the music can be boring and I don't like being lectured to. But my favorite part of the ceremony, the service is the sermon. And I like Me a too. priest that yeah. I can relate to. Are you a Catholic? I grew up Episcopalian. Oh, okay, Which cool. is kind of like Catholic light. You yeah, know what my, I'm saying? My grandpa was Episcopalian. Yeah. And I really I relate to that a lot. Cool, but um yeah i think that it's it's very interesting that religious freedom is Mm -hmm. in our country is very important i saw this documentary it's called hail satan and it's about these (laughs) temple uh, the satanic temple people trying to get equal rights as christians with their beliefs it's very interesting because like you know it's like a lot of their philosophy is about like equality and having control over your body and acceptance Mm -hmm. and they're using the metaphor of the rebel to try to like Make their point, and it, it's a really right, great right. documentary. I don't necessarily agree with like all beliefs, but I agree with like a lot of the tenets of like treat people kindly, and a mm-hmm. lot of that's like you know what I mean, respect. Well, people. Satanism,
1: there, Satanism in a lot of ways is pretty atheistic, right, or like agnostic. Yeah, the, so the idea that there's no higher deity, like it's kind of like it's kind of like metal, like it's it's a very fantasy driven in a way, like the right. like the mindset behind it is very kind of comic booky, from what I understand, but. And maybe con- was- maybe more serious than that but like yeah well definitely more serious than like a comic book but um uh, i i remember i remember uh you know the band showbread are you aware mm-hmm. okay they're were, they're were an old tooth and nail band and they uh i remember they had a blog on their website a blog post like years and years ago but the guy broke down the singer of this christian band broke down like the basic tenets of satanism right and and basically and he kind of talked about how uh A lot of Christians, like a lot. He kind of just hinted at a lot of Satanists being like the way that a lot of Christians act is no different than Satanists. And from from this basic tenet. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. I recommend that movie because it's like this. What's it it called? It's called Hail Satan. It's a documentary. And that it's this idea that if you're going to let one. Yeah, group speak. You should let any group speak. And when mm-hmm. they tried to put like the Ten Commandments in Oklahoma at the Constitution, yeah, meeting, yeah. they came and they wanted to bring a statue of the. They're, yeah. They're oh, I remember out. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's about that, and it's about like the uh, the community around it, and how you know it's very they're very politically active, but they're not mm-hmm. they're not trying to sacrifice people or hurt anyone. Right. It's just like about the symbolism, and it's really based on a lot of the imagery mm-hmm. of Christianity. And
1: well, it's so it's so aggravating to me how like because I was raised in idaho right and i I had a I had a private Christian education growing up which i'm I'm thankful for but there was also uh there's such a conservative aspect to it and um one thing that was like really the whole patriotism is Christianity mm. kind of a thing was like really taught to us at an early age and um and it was almost like you don't question it was kind of the idea like America is a Christian nation. You don't question it. And then it wasn't until like I got to college and remember I had a professor who was like, America is not a Christian nation or a religious nation. It, it was founded by religious men, but the whole point was that it was like neutral, you know? Right. And, um, it's just so aggravating when Christians don't realize how much privilege they have as just for their, not even for necessarily being like lit, I don't know. Not even necessarily for being serious Christians, but just for being just for being like, oh, I'm a Christian, like wearing the badge. They get so much. It's a good guy badge. Yeah, they get they get treated so much better without before people even know what they actually believe. And yeah, and like if you're part of a different religion, you get treated like shit. And so you have all. I don't know. It's just so. And do, you, I, do, you ever, do you know Rob Bell? I do. Yeah, I love how he's.
0: I don't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. No, go. He has a great podcast and. He's gotten in trouble for saying like that Jesus and God would don't care if you're gay and they don't care mm. about this and that and kind of like a progressive view, which yeah. the idea that the Bible and a lot of the stuff they talk about need to be reinterpreted and updated and a lot of that stuff is mm. of the time and I I agree with that I I think that anyone who's if you're a Christian you need to realize that people who you who you love and who you want to spend your life with doesn't define you and doesn't make you bad. I mean, that seems like a normal perspective, but if I, if Christianity was like completely against that, I couldn't vibe with the religion.
1: How often do you talk about Christianity on your podcast? I think rarely. Maybe I talk rarely. about God sometimes as a metaphor, but because mm-hmm. I, because I know that you talked with miles about it. How that well, was probably when? the only other time. Okay. And I know that you, and I don't know any, really any Christians in this, in like the music scene any right. any corner of it any right, um, and so I was just I was just curious I know that you asked uh, Adam like if he was religious because yeah. he, was, he was Jewish and have
0: you do you ever, do you ever hear a show called Silicon Valley HBO yeah, show yeah I haven't watched it but there's a funny episode where like um, a character comes out as gay and it's fine but when another mm. character comes out as Christian no one wants to invest in his startup <laughs> in Silicon Valley because <laughs> like, sick because it's like it's something that people don't don't want to hear you talk about in the, I don't know it seems like it's like politics right you don't want to
1: it can be very controversial mm-hmm. if you
0: if you're disagreeing i think it's
1: also a little bit of a role reversal too though with that with that idea you know because like i feel like 20 years ago if if you come out as christian then like especially okay so christian music and i i know that you probably have a little bit of experience with christian uh-huh. music from like how you grew up dc or like, talk oc supertones right uh john you did a song with john, john rubin right? my dude well, okay. So if you listen to podcasts and even just thinking about growing up and going to like a Christian school, it was like uh-huh. if a band was Christian, like if you could claim them as Christian, they were okay to listen to. But some people were like, I don't listen to quote unquote secular music right. at all. You know, and that's so, what
0: was MXPX's big controversy,
1: right? When they'd start doing secular music, <laughs> whatever that means. Cause you're yeah. like, I can't like, I can't get my perspective out of my music. Like, like, it, so so I'm one of the songwriters in my band, and my my buddy is the other songwriter, you know. And he he's pretty much totally agnostic, and I'm very Christian, and mm-hmm. like, we, and like I'm not singing about like my belief in Christianity in my songs, but I can't remove my Christian worldview from from it. So if I'm right, if I'm talking about like I have a song about how I found out a bunch of my friends were cheating on each other. Oh, right, wow. right. Like friends, yeah. friends that had linked up and gotten married and whatever, and they were cheating on each other, and there was like multiple purposes, of, like multiple examples of that. But if I, if I, uh, I guess that if I, I, I couldn't remove my Christian worldview from that, even, even if it's very similar to my roommate's worldview, I'm still coming at it from the perspective of a Christian, right? You know, and if he approached that, it might sound a little bit different because he he's a ign- Like I I know that like, I know that pretty much everyone agrees that cheating is wrong, but but me, I come from this, you know, point of view that marriage is holy, so I value Mm -hmm. it in a different way than maybe he values it when he's like when when he's like marriage is a really good thing and it like brings people together. But we, I have like a a different kind of worldview to begin with. So you, sort of sort of complain that someone's not a Christian band or is a Christian band it's just so backwards to me. And it's so annoying to me because it's, it's just so like, I, I didn't used to be annoyed by it, but now I'm just so pissed off about it because you're, you're cheapening art and you're cheapening people's like honest perspectives mm. and no two Christians think the same about anything. That's you true. Know? And, and so if you, if you put them into that box, I don't know.
0: Just. Well, and also there's this whole thing where like Christian music, like DC talk was a Xeroxed Nirvana that Jesus freak song is smells like Dean spirit. Basically, musically, it's mm-hmm. the same exact yeah, song. Yeah, it is. And so it's like, but still, great. Jesus Freak is an amazing song. But that's
1: also so true, though. Like Christian music, totally ripped off. And Hawk Nelson, they're very Blink One Eighty Two, right? I don't oh, know if gosh. you know that band. Oh yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I, I and John Rubin
0: was—he's amazing, but he was like the Christian indie backpack rapper. But he also happened to be hella dope. So you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I think that there was a point. At, there was a point in time where like Christian record labels were trying to market bands as like okay so i remember going to the christian bookstore and right. seeing like the, mm-hmm by reliant k when it came out and oh, yeah it, and it was like for fans of Sum 41 blink 182 right right and and but it was like kind of trying to market it as like the christian version of the the christian alternative to these bands you know
0: and guess what Christians in the early two thousands they weren't pirating music, so that's why they sell so many albums. They buy it, right? Christians oh. weren't stealing music. Yeah, we didn't steal any music
1: growing up. So it's a good, so
0: it's a good, uh, it's a good brand because it means you've, you, yeah, know, if you have faithful people who pay for it, and then it's safe to bring like the church youth group to go see the, those bands. It's like a whole thing. Yeah, but right? the,
1: it's so annoying, like the you know, and I don't, I don't think that the Bible even supports the, you know, the notion that the world is safe or that Christianity should be safe. Or like family-friendly or G-rated, mm. you know? I don't think.
0: There's some graphic stories in the Bible.
1: Yeah, and like metaphors, too. Like, yeah, that's l- true, like man. Like when you're talking, yeah, I don't know.
0: That's part of, and I we can end with this, but the idea that, um, so I don't know if you knew, you knew that I'm like a big Insane Clown Posse fan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, all I know about Insane Clown Posse comes from you.
0: Okay, <laughs> their, their whole thing, the metaphor of the Dark Carnival is this like religious allegory, and they're, Christian guys, and at least Violent J is, and like a lot of the stories are this metaphor of like how to act and how to be a good person. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, I see it like CS Lewis. Narnia is like the dark carnival. It's like a metaphor for how you can live your life through these characters. And I think that great art is allegorical. And that's why CS Lewis is so awesome. And my last question for you is what is your favorite book in the Chronicles of Narnia?
1: I'd say that my three favorites. <laughs> okay, and then I'll narrow it down to one afterward. Magician's nephew, um, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, and Last Battle. Wow! And I would say, and I, but I, I want I kind of want to say Last Battle. Like C.S. Lewis was just so okay. So the thing about the Last Battle is the, do you, are you familiar with all the books? Yeah, so I, I read heard? them all. I did an EP okay. about with the science. I, oh, okay, that's true. That's yeah. true. So the end of the last battle on Patreon, the, the end of the last battle where they're all running toward heaven and it's like a new London or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like an imp, it's like the old London was just an imprint of like the real London is kind of the idea, you know, or the, or the old, or it's the very platonic. Or, yes. That's what I was going to say. It's yeah. like, I I love getting into that stuff, how he was kind of a big Plato fan and whether or not you agree with Plato's philosophical views. I, Mm, excuse me one of my like best friends is a philosophy major and he just he's like oh yeah that's all like bullshit or whatever but yeah he anyway
0: what he doesn't believe in plato is plato discredited
1: i not not completely just like some of his some of his views about things he so when you talk about like platonic views of of i don't know and adam with religion he's just kind of like yeah i don't know about that but Mm -hmm. But anyway that's the point being that's really interesting to me that he he put that into his theology, and he put it into his his book.
0: Right. He's he, C.S. Lewis is a well-read dude.
1: I'm sure that I just misquoted my friend. He's gonna be like, "What the hell, man?" <laughs> but but well,
0: Plato uh-huh. being the origin of uh, one of the origins of after Socrates of Western mm-hmm. philosophy, right?
1: Right. Very influential. Well, well, it's just the idea that the thing I find so interesting is the idea that everything that we comprehend and make in this life is appealing to like a perfect standard that we have in our head. And right. so that's kind of what he was arguing is like, is like, um, like heaven would be the perfect representation or the, or, or the work, like our world is like, uh, like a model of a perfect like, of world. heaven. Yeah. Of like heaven. And all the people yeah. we love are there
0: that have died. yeah. Uh, theoretically, he,
1: he, he kind of touches on that. Yeah.
0: And that's what's, if you haven't read the, uh, the last battle mm-hmm. we're gonna spoil it the kids mm-hmm. die in a train wreck and that's awesome <laughs> and they don't expect it mm. but like that's the twist there at the end like oh yeah y- y'all already dead yeah and that's yeah. the crazy twist does that happen at the beginning of that beginning of that book right
1: yeah because they're all waiting for the train i oh no uh, i don't know if it does i haven't i read it but uh, lucy doesn't because she doesn't believe not lucy uh susan susan oh. susan yeah
0: cold C.S. Nope, Lewis. No,
1: but she goes to, like, London heaven. She's already there. <laughs> she's in she's in London heaven for some reason, right? So she... Do they meet her at the end? I think they see her. Like, they, they're, S. 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 <S. like, S. 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 <S. looking out from, like, a far, I And don't they're know. on their way. It's been a long time since I read, so... So we're
0: going to get a lot of C.S. Lewis scholars tweeting us, <laughs> <laughs> correcting us. I do recommend those books. I read them all in the order of the chronology of what they're, when they're supposed to take place. So I read a Magician's Nephew first. Mm-hmm because that's it's a prequel right right so, so i thought that that was a tight way to read them
1: yeah well so the the box set i had growing up was like it had them in chronological order rather than the order that he wrote them that's great and so magician's nephew was always first and i i love that book i think that's such a good idea of like all these little worlds with their pools or whatever and then that's done, dope yeah I that's know.
0: very plato as well is it well, the idea that things are projected and
1: right, that it's like. a. So I haven't studied philosophy very much. All, all I know is from my friend and from my uh, and from that class about his philosophical views. So
0: well, speaking of perfect forms, if you want to check out some perfect music, <laughs> head over to the Hidden Home Records on Bandcamp.
1: Uh, Rob, thanks for being on the episode.
0: Yeah. Any final yeah. thoughts?
1: Uh, no, no, thanks for having me on. And then support Lars on Patreon.
0: Hey, thanks, Rob. All right. See you thanks, guys. Man. Peace.
2: of Hollywood committing arson trolling PewDiePie, that's why they call me Eric Hartman, still loving Roger Rabbit, Oxford Magnet on my fridge with a shopping list for Tuesday making anthems for these kids. Big O when I go hard, we be blasting ballsy beats and I'm still down with some Goku call me Dragon Ball and C. Smith Smithers on the mic because I go for the full Monty, track his vocals on an apple past a 3.5 inch floppy Don't got the greatest flow so I spend my nights at home with the lights out in the bathroom watching Space Ghost on my phone, Or maybe Rick and Morty won't stop rapping till it's boring Jasper Beardley on the mic, can't believe I'm nearly 40 When we park the van, that's another story Cause touring every year feels a lot like finding Dory I heard Donald won, he's always frightened me Sadder than the plot of Manchester by the sea And we're taking Peppy back, your authority is over Retreating Bernie Sanders, glad I finally got sober With my son and crisp, and my levels always balance as I stay Into your playlist just like Putin at the ballot. Hip hop, punk rock, put your hands together,
3: make the verse drop. Hip hop, punk rock, put your hands together, make the verse drop. Now get your body moving, shaking, lose control. Now get your body moving, shaking, lose control. Now get your body moving, shaking, get your body moving, shaking, get your body moving, shaking lose control I've been doing it doing it on my own dime it's finally paying off it's blowing up my mind if you don't like it that is absolutely fine Cause today's my day, and this is my time. I played a show with Lars, and then he got back to me. I wanted some Northwest States, and, and he, he gave me the whole country. It's a thousand miles, see of things I've yet to see. And I'm bringing my best friends, it's better than I dream could be. Got a DJ solo track, that's a bit of hip-hop history. Got a feature on that track, from pioneering this industry. Cause the people who are influential, that are working with me. Got a lot invested here, the test is near, it's all up to me.
2: Yeah. Ha.
3: Punk rock, put your hands together, make the verse drop. Hit huh rock, put your hands together, make the verse drop. They'll get your body moving, shaking, lose control. They'll get your body moving, shaking, lose control. They'll get your body moving, shaking, get your body moving, shaking, get your body moving, shaking, lose
2: control.
0: Great episode. Support Rob, support his bands, hidden home records doing great stuff next week we got word burglar from canada we did a show a few weeks ago in philadelphia and uh, word burglar is dope talk we talk about what it's like to be a canadian how the canadian government underwrites every canadian piece of media that comes out so they don't have to pay for anything no that's not true but we talk about the whole thing the stereotype people have that canadians get grants for their art and uh Word Burglar sets me straight. It's true. But also, they work really hard. And also, they have a very dope national identity. And also, Canadians love it when you generalize about their country. Um, No, word Burglar's tight. So check that out next week. Got some new Patreon songs coming. Please like and subscribe. Spread the word. Thanks for listening. All right. Hope y'all having a good summer. And I'll talk to you next Monday. Peace, y'all. Thanks. Oh, by the way, it's MC Lars. But you probably knew that.